It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Beach, and today I am joined by a very special guest from the Office of Personalized Learning. We are being joined by Sarah Gams. She now currently serves as the Student Learning and Development Program Manager for our agency, but you may recognize her as being the 2021 South Carolina Teacher of the Year. Sarah, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, We're going to start right now with allowing you to kind of introduce yourself, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Carrie, it's so great to be a part of this podcast. I've been a fan for a while and listening to all the wonderful resources and ideas and the heart of our South Carolina teachers. So it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I want to start by um, you telling us your teacher story. So how has your journey in education led you to becoming so passionate about the work that you do? Well, I always I always knew I wanted to be a teacher um, and, and I, my mother is a teacher, my father, um, my sister, my brother-in-law, my husband's a principal. So I, 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 I come by it honestly. I come from a family of teachers and I love English. Um, I've always loved reading and writing and talking about reading and writing. And so that naturally put me in the career path of education. And I have taught middle school for 10 years, loved teaching middle school, uh, seventh and eighth grade. Uh, Then I moved to the high school with Spring Hill High School opened up, up in Chapin and Lexington Richland 5. I wanted to try opening a school. I thought that was a great adventure. And it it was with my amazing colleagues still at Spring Hill. It's, It's a great place to be. And I taught there for seven years. So education has just been you know, naturally what I live, breathe, and talk about. It's just part of who I am. I came specifically to the work of thinking about how students learn best, not, not necessarily teaching my content, but not teaching English, but how do you teach students? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you work with people? Because that's who our students are, they're people. And I, I've been at this for a while, but COVID naturally in 2020 really reinforced to me the importance of thinking about how students learn, how their social skills impact how they learn, how their emotional um, stability, how, how they feel about themselves, how that impacts how they learn. That all came to the forefront when we went out for those first two weeks during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was one of the teachers, I really thought we were going to come right back. And I really thought my students were going to do all that deep academic work that I assigned to them over those, that course of two weeks. Um, and, and then I learned what the term ghosting was. And they, they were gone. And my, my concern came, not are they doing their work, but are they okay? And, and where are they? And how can I reach my students? And that's when I really started looking into deeply researching trauma-informed instruction, uh, social-emotional learning. How, how do we communicate with our parents, with our communities? How do we get through this collective trauma, collective trauma that we're all in together? How do we do that? And also stay focused on academics and getting our students college and career ready because that's what we're here to do. So that's when I really started pouring my time and my energy into this research and study. And it uh, led me here to the department. Well, speaking of some of the things that you just mentioned, I want to ask, why do you think that tending to the emotional side and the needs of students is as important or in some cases, even more important than the academic side of school? 
Well, I think you can ask any teacher and, and they will tell you that we teach people, we teach children and we, and we teach um, what they need. We meet our students where they are and we take them where they need to go. We've been doing this professionally our whole careers. So I think that instinctively we understand as educators that the path to academics is through social emotional learning, is through how, our, how we reach our students in their communities, uh, with their families, uh, how, how, how are we connecting with our students? That is the pathway to the academics. We, we can't actually get to the content unless all those other needs are met. Um, it's Maslow's over blooms. I, I know that's a hashtag now, hashtag Maslow's before blooms, but that is true. And this is not new research. This is, this is more exacting. Like, you know, as we, get into the profession and as the profession grows and changes, we understand more about the, the student um, brain and the, 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 how, the, how it develops. And that helps us teach our content by opening up those pathways to have social interaction with group work, to acknowledge our students and who they are as people, to, to make sure we're having avenues of success, like multiple forms of assessment. Um, multiple methods of teaching, instructional methods. Social emotional skills are why best practice instructional strategies work so well and and why some strategies are are more apt to work in your classroom than others. So I think that it is absolutely not only just as important academics, but also the pathway to Well, what do you think that can look like at the beginning of the school year? We know that a lot of our listeners are in the field, educators right now, and these first couple of weeks of schools are a prime opportunity for relationship building and just establishing the culture that you want in your classroom. So what, what could this potentially look like at the beginning of the school year? Well, there's a lot of ways to look at this. There's the school level. I know many of our schools across the state are now opening with uh, assemblies and gatherings where the students come together in the gym. We're just getting started back with this after COVID where we're able to gather together. Of course, that looked differently in the past three years, but but many schools work in um, a full day of engaging activities, of reconnection, of getting of, of getting to know each other, of book studies. It looks differently all across South Carolina, but at the school level, taking that day, even though it feels like you're moving away from academics, but taking that day to celebrate the culture and community of your school really starts connecting your students to the school and to each other and to us as educators. That's like a school-wide um, idea that's been, that my own school used it um, every, every year when we open. At the classroom level, for me, it, it, it looks like um, collaborative work and it looks like ice-breaking activities and welcoming activities for my students, not only to get to know me, but get to know each other. Many of our students in the room don't, don't know each other. So, so that's a nice way to make connections happen. And then finally, and, and maybe even most importantly, after you've established, you know, the culture of your classroom, our norms from our class come from our modeling during those welcoming activities. I model active listening. I model asking clarifying questions. Mm-hmm. I model how to speak respectfully. And so our norms develop organically out of those activities that, I'm, that I've designed to do those things. But then when you get to the academic part, you have to prove that you're just as inclusive and just as caring about their academic success as you as you do about them personally. I started assigning 
something I knew my students would find success with no matter where they were. And so for English, that looked like creative writing, vignettes, memoirs, short stories. And my students would bring me their first drafts. And I set the tone for how we were going to work together that year as partners with those first drafts. Every student had an individual conference. Every student, I complimented every student very specifically on the things they did well. And every student does something well with writing. And then I gave them choices of what they should do in their second draft to kind of, you know, move their writing along to to whatever level, you know, to the next natural step of of an emerging writers. Like, what does that look like for you? And and what pathway would be best for you to take right now? And we made that decision together. And then the second draft came back. So I set that tone right away that I will be a partner with you in this educational journey. I will be someone, I will be a resource, I will be a facilitator, I will be a guide, but we're a team and we're going we're gonna to do this work together. And that tone, coupled with an assignment that they could all grasp and manage, really makes a, a, a visible statement of how class will look this year and how we will support each other in our journey. We can say we're growth mindset as teachers and we all want to be. But unless that's reflected in how we instruct and how we grade, mm-hmm. the students won't believe us. So many gems dropped in there. Something that you said earlier kind of reminded me of a saying that we all know in education, which is students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I could definitely hear that just reiterated throughout everything that you're saying. And then also in how you choose to start the year off academically, starting with something that the students can grapple with and then get support on and then modeling that relationship, starting the way that you want to finish and modeling for students how we are going to function as human beings in this classroom, how we're going to support each other, how we're going to speak to each other. I love that. And I think that's super important. And it's it's merging um, the academic side with skills that will be needed well beyond grade school. So I think that's really awesome. Thank you. With that in mind, when it comes to building relationships, which you spoke to a moment ago, and a sense of connection throughout the course of the year, systemically maintaining these things that we start at the beginning of the year, what are some best practices that you think are good to keep top of mind? Well, I think the beauty of teaching is that it is so creative. There's so many best practice instruction uh, pieces of instruction that we can use. And and I like trying new things every year, Um, going to workshops, taking back my learning, implementing in my classroom, see how it works. That created, that's my creative play. That's my, I call it engaging in the struggle of learning. Um, And that's what I want my students to do. So they have to see me doing that as well. Um, Again, that modeling piece, but to keep it sustained, uh, I think it's important to understand this is not a one teacher effort. So for example, that collaborative environment in schools where teachers are working collaboratively as a team to think through rubrics, to think through a multiple choice test. Um, For example, the biggest deal of a multiple choice test is if there's not a way to determine what to do next with the student, that test typically just produces a grade number. So I always tell my students, I'm more interested in what you get wrong on our multiple choice test. Because I teach AP classes, like there's a test at the end. I, I teach the EOC classes. We have to acknowledge that that we need to have them test ready too. Um, 
And I look at, I say, you're, it's just more interesting. Your wrong answers, because I know now where the, where the miscue was or, or what we need to do to make sure that we build up your critical reading skills. It, it's a vocabulary issue or it's a skimming issue, or it's a, um, sometimes it's a paragraph numbering issue, you know, just, just knowing how to read informational text and how to determine where they want you to go for the question. All of that is systemic and deeply academic, but it has to be done collaboratively with your fellow teachers so that you get equity across classes. So it's not just I'm, you know, I'm getting to know my classes, my students, I'm getting to know the the, the students in my whole school, the classrooms in my whole school, and how, how can we work together to lift all of us up in that academic space? So when I'm thinking systemic instructional practices, there's so many to choose from and they're wonderful, but that conversation with other teachers about what do our students need? What do they need right now? How are my students in the room different this year than they were last year? I mean, what can I do to increase my engagement this year for these students, those are the, those are the, that's the common denominator for successful schools and successful classrooms. And I, and I use successful to mean vibrant, thriving, engaged in intellectual struggle. Sometimes we fail, we bounce, building that bounceability. I'm not saying successful like test scores. I'm saying successful as in how it feels to come into a space and want to learn today. And that we build largely by the way we talk with each other as professionals and how we make our next step decisions. I love that you called attention to that because oftentimes throughout the year, at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, our focus in our teacher meetings, educator meetings are, you know, how are we going to improve these test scores? And what you're saying is essentially our perspective should shift a little bit towards not what are the test scores, but what are we seeing as being our students' needs? How can we best meet those needs? Where are the areas of growth? But also, where are the, where are the highlights? Where, where are the areas where our students are improving? And specifically, discussing strategy across classrooms instead of being siloed. Love that. And kind of switching gears a little bit, how do you think administrators and leaders can support teachers so that they can, in turn, meet the needs of their students throughout the course of a year? In my research of, you know, how, how our social and emotional needs impact our work, right? Impact how we frame our work. I came across Camille Farrington's white paper from 2013 about academic mindsets. And she says there are four, and, and, I, and this is for students, but it's adults too. Farrington, the research shows that there are four academic mindsets that if you can cultivate you actually build resilience. You, you provide a spaces for healing, if healing is necessary. You provide spaces for ideas to flourish and, and for schools to thrive. And those four academic mindsets are, number one, this is how students have to feel to be in an environment to, to get to that academic success. Number one, well, I just don't get there in a minute. Number one, um, honestly, is I belong in this community. Number two, I can succeed at this. Number three, my ability and my competence grow with my effort. And number four, this work has value for me. And if we think about those four academic mindsets and frame them, the first is, are our teachers feeling like they're part of a community? 
are they included in the decision-making process? And do they have the autonomy to make their own decisions regarding assessments, retakes, classroom instruction, right down to are we making the space? Um, in my school, it was wonderful. I could go watch my colleague down the hall teach. And sometimes we decided we need to switch classes. And I would teach her class prose and she would teach my class poetry. Shout out, Miss Rebecca Gilliam. We did that because that's how we create a community with each other and felt like we were an integral part of that community. Because it's not just I belong in this space. It's I really am contributing to this space. Mm-hmm. Number two, I, I can't succeed at this. We make, as educators, we make education possible for our students. And so our administrators have to make education possible for their teachers. We have to be able to succeed at what we're being asked to do. So if there's there's initiatives, make sure they're fully funded and make sure they're systemic and that it's one focus, not 50. These are are important items to build our competence because number three is my ability and my competence grow with my effort. You know, I think we have to acknowledge that after COVID, teachers are exhausted. Um, We did teaching in an environment that we've never, like we created a whole new way to instruct based on our own professional expertise. It was an incredible feat and and, and almost impossible when we did it. But in that, our, our feeling of competence was tested. Can I still do this? Is, is this still relevant to, to what I know and be able to do? And so for administrators to create that environment where our ability and competence grows with our effort. And they and so our administrators recognize the energy and the love and the heart that we're pouring into our students in our classroom. Even sometimes if an instructional strategy fails or if a project doesn't work out the way we thought it would, recognizing the effort and the growth, that, ha- that again has to be something we do consistently, not just something we say we value, but something we show that we value. And number four, this work has value for me. You know, the most beautiful thing about education is teachers, we want to be in our classrooms. We want to be with our students. We, we chose this profession to be with students. We find great joy there. So our work inherently holds that very deep, worthy, innate value. But we also have to feel valued. And that value has to be visible. And it has to be done with very specific compliments with being included in the decision-making process, by being transparent in how decisions are made. Even if, if if we can't have a voice in that decision, knowing how that decision came to be is respectful and has value. What the administrators can do for us as educators is the same that as educators we do for our students. It's developing those academic mindsets and creating those spaces for those mindsets to flourish so that we can all do what we need to do in the system of a school. Thank you so much for sharing those academic mindsets and that resource that you gave. That that is so powerful. And I know our listeners um, will definitely want to learn and dig in more about that. And speaking of resources, um, I wanted to ask you, are there any other resources, books, podcasts that you're currently listening to that you think might benefit educators who are interested in growing more in these different areas that we're discussing? Yeah, I, I read a lot. I, I listen, you know, a lot of articles, a lot of Edtopia, a lot of Education Week. Um, we just finished a book study that I really loved, Equity for Grading, um, John Feldman. I like materials that challenge my thinking. 
And I like materials that I can take immediately and try a piece of. You know, nobody can do everything all at once. But I always like when I go to PD conferences or I read a book, I like taking one thing from that piece and trying to implement it as quickly as possible. Whatever we're reading inherently becomes what we're doing. And so I think it's really important to make sure that we're reading materials and listening to podcasts that give us life and that confirm our thinking, but equally important to read those texts that will challenge our thinking and help us open our minds to to what might be possible and, and how to do that creative play with the art of teaching in our classrooms every day. Are there any final words of encouragement that you might be able to share with educators who are embarking upon this year as we kind of bring this conversation to a close? Well, I sincerely hope that this year it's already started. I I don't like to use the word normal because every teacher will tell you there's no normal in in an education year. You know, every year is different. But I hope that this sense of being able to come into school buildings and being able to be in our classrooms and to be grouped right from the very beginning of the year. I hope this gives you a sense of normalcy that helps you come back to the beauty of teaching in, in, in the space where we were where we were trained to be. Um, we've done impossible things in the past three years, and you're going to do impossible things this year. And, and that is the beauty of education. When you, when you get to work with students and colleagues and, and professionals in this field, you get to imagine possibilities, and you get to make education possible for every student who walks through our doors. And I just commend all the teachers for being there in the classrooms, for greeting their students with smiles, for making their content engaging and vibrant. And I am so excited for the year to come. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Sarah, for joining us and for all of your excellent words um, and wisdom that you share with us today. If there are anybody, if there's any listener out there who wants to keep in touch with you or learn more about your journey or follow you in any way, shape or form, what's the best way for them to contact you? Sure. I'm, I'm right at the department. So ssgams at ed.se.gov. I'm always reachable by email. The personalized learning website and, and, and through the coaches, I'm, I'm available through that as well. So I hope, I hope you do reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. We'll be right back to close things out. educators, we know you all are working hard day in and day out to meet all your students' needs. The SCDE Office of Personalized Learning wants to celebrate you and the work you're doing. We want to help tell your stories, share your processes, and the artifacts you create as you work to put students at the center of their own learning, but we can't do it without you. So send us your celebrations, stories, processes, or artifacts to personalizedlearning at ed sc.gov, tag us on Twitter at PersonalizedSC, or reach out to your Office of Personalized Learning Regional Coach at personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. We can't wait to see what you send our way. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. 
Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!